How Not to Murder Your ADHD Kid is the name of the book written by my guest today, Sarah Templeton. If you're desperate for help trying to understand why your ADHD child acts slightly differently to others, and you're tearing your hair out trying to know what the best thing to do to help, then this is the episode for you. And with the prevalence of ADHD in prisons, we look at the benefits of training teachers how to spot ADHD earlier to reduce the chance of offending later on in life. Watching the numbers go up really helps me avoid burnout and enables me to keep making amazing content for you all. So if you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button, please hit the like button. And if you're listening to it on a podcast app, please hit the follow button. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Sarah, thanks for your time. Great pleasure. Before the cameras started, we were talking about theatre. So I'll continue in that theme and to set the stage. When were you diagnosed and what led you to want to seek assessment? I was diagnosed two months before my 52nd birthday. Um, And the reason for that was I was seeing a counsellor about a cat phobia. And on my third session, when I told her I'd got IBS, she said, IBS as well, because I've been listing all my issues one after the other after the other. She went, IBS as well? I said, yes. Why? She said, has anybody ever suggested your ADHD? And I said, no. Why? And she said, because I think you are. Go home and Google it. So I went home and Googled it and same old story in my entire life dropped into place. Or so I thought that night, I thought AD explained everything, ADHD explained everything. Then uh, normal horror stories, although it was 2015, so ADHD services were much better then. Um, I was told by two psychiatrists I wasn't ADHD. One, because I wasn't diagnosed as a child. Uh, one, because he just didn't think I was ADHD. So by this time, I'd got a bit more switched on. So I typed up whole lists of my ADHD traits under, you know, four, literally four pages of it and went to see an NHS bloke. And he looked literally looked at me. This is how ADHD services drive me insane. He looked at me and he said, well, I don't think you've got ADHD. And I said, well, do you, this was the third psychiatrist. I said, do you mind just looking at the notes and just reading the notes at all? Um, and look, he looked at the first page. He turned it over to the second page. He went, oh, right, then you are ADHD. <laughs> but had I not written out all those traits, again, I would have got knocked back because I'd never been under mental health services. I'd never thought there was anything wrong with me. I thought I was the one getting it right and everybody else was getting it wrong. You know, I was busy. I'd got businesses. I'd got houses. One point I had five properties, three businesses. I was doing fabulously and I just thought everybody else was slow and, and you know, I was the one getting it right. But I, I, so I never literally had been under mental health services at all. Last thing for me, I thought I was perfectly fine. I still do. I still don't consider I've got any sort of mental health problem. I still, I still think CADHD as being a hugely... Um, successful thing to have, you know, because an awful lot of people are very, very successful with ADHD. So for me, I still don't consider myself ill in any respect, but it does explain a lot of my life. But that was the only beginning Mm. because I was diagnosed with ADHD and then I'm a counsellor, carried on seeing lots of clients and through the clients worked out and went on to be diagnosed with moderate to severe, uh, sorry, severe dyspraxia, with 1% processing and 1% motor skills, which shocked the life out of me, um, and dyscalculia and sensory processing disorder, which most people with ADHD have got. But that that kind of, I didn't get the full picture till I was 55, 56, which is quite late, really. And I'm quite passionate about people getting the full mm. picture a lot earlier than that. 
Just quickly, what's, what's dyscalculia? Dyscalculia, it's the numbers version of dyslexia. Okay. So it's why I failed my 12 plus, because people with dyscalculia can't do problems. Our brain just doesn't work that way. So I was pretty good at algebra, pretty good at fractions, pretty good at quite a lot of maths. But there were certain things my brain doesn't do. It just doesn't, doesn't even, it's very difficult to explain. But when I, my brain is given a problem, like so many has got you know, Susan's got so many bananas and Billy's got so many grapes. My brain doesn't even go there. It won't even start to work it out. It, it's very odd to explain to people. And also with dyscalculia, we get quarter two and quarter past muddled up on clocks. So although we know perfectly well what 2.45 and 3.15 is, if we've got an appointment at one, we might get there half an hour early or half an hour later because mm. we get them confused. Um, a lot of kids with dyscalculia... Um, they struggle with routines. So uh, anything, a gym routine or a ballet routine. I remember, believe it or not, even me with my severe dyspraxia, I used to go to ballet classes where I was like a thundering elephant. But I could never remember the routines. I, I just couldn't remember the, you know, one, two, three, four, five steps. Couldn't remember them. And that's a dyscalculic thing. We can't remember routines. Mm. So it's not just maths and numbers. It's other things as well. It's all to do with the wonderful brain wiring and all the different things that go on i'm fascinated when you went when you took that list to your doctor what did that list say i just put headings of all the adhd traits because i've become you know from getting these knockbacks and also talking to this counselor who was adhd herself but not diagnosed but had two diagnosed sons so she knew so much about it so i i just wrote down the the headings you know inattention distraction always knowing best or <laughs> wanting everything my own way, um, pushing boundaries. I just wrote all these headings, probably about 20, 25 headings, and then just wrote examples of, of m my own underneath each one. But how ridiculous that I walked into an office and he looked at me, and this is an NHS bloke, and looked at me and said, well, I don't think you've got ADHD. And at the time, I was probably three times the size I am now because I was a compulsive eater. So... You know, there was an indicator even from that. But that's what people deal with. And to this day, as I'm sure you know, people are getting knocked back for the most ridiculous reasons that, you know. But you have to, I always say to people now, if you're going for a diagnosis, take your evidence because you'll need it to prove it sometimes. There's a lot of people that still are under the illusion that only boys can get ADHD. And mm. We know that's nonsense, but why do you think that is? Well, there's a... There's a funny thing about that. You see, I have a bit of a problem with this notion of girls ADHD. I don't hold with it. And the reason I don't hold with it is because I'm combined ADHD and very tomboyish, very, you know, very um, thuggish in a girly way. <laughs> and I have met in my counselling career a lot of boys and men with inattentive ADHD. Now, calling that girls ADHD, it's actually sexism. It, it shouldn't be allowed. Yes, women have ADHD. Of course they do. But in my experience, as many of us have combined ADHD as have inattentive. And it's very offensive. My brother, for example, we've got different dads. And my brother has inherited his dad's ADHD. So my brother, age 49, is inattentive. Severely. Now, calling his ADHD girls ADHD is actually pretty offensive to him and i think it should be dropped this girl's adhd and also you know i'm adhd but i'm not your typical girl i'm not dreamy i've never been a daydreamer i've never been a procrastinator i've never been away with the fairies in my own head any of those things 
but I'm a girl and mm. I've got ADHD. So I think this girl's ADHD thing should be dropped. I think it's very offensive. I really do. Why do you think it seems to present, the inattentive side seems to present more in females? I don't think it does. You don't think it does? No, no. I've been, I've been in counselling for 10 years mm. and we have more men with inattentive ADHD come for therapy than any other category. And I'll tell you why that is. It's because they feel like underachievers. They feel that they're not manly, that they're not um, providers. Mm. They're not taking control as much as the females would like. So my brother is a brilliant example and he doesn't mind me talking about him. Um, he's 49 and he has had numerous relationships, all of them very good, but all of them have collapsed because he is never enough for the woman. Because he is in his own head, dreamy, distracted, very largely silent. He doesn't speak much, you know. So women eventually get fed up with him and leave um, to the point now that he says he will never live with another woman again because he knows it will go wrong. So inattentive men, I've met hundreds of them, absolutely hundreds of them. And they also um, veer more towards the depression. So, you know, with ADHD comes either anxiety or depression, usually in varying degrees with people. It, it usually is there some of the time. Uh, I veer more towards the anxiety side. My brother with inattentive ADHD has been depressed all his life. And we have tried everything. We've tried ADHD meds. We've tried antidepressants. We've tried everything. But he's very, very severely ADHD, as was his father. Uh, his father had a breakdown in his 40s and was that was the end of his working life. You know, he just, that was it. So, um, what, boy, I don't think boys, I, I, don't, I don't know what the st statistics are now, but I don't think boys are getting diagnosed more than girls now. I think girls are just, just as aware that they might have it as mm. boys. That's, you know, I run a massive therapy company. We're the biggest um, company of diagnosed ADHD counsellors in the country. There's a hundred of us. And of those 100, 80 are women that are diagnosed and roughly 20 are men, you know. So I don't, I, I don't, I'd, it'd be interesting to know the, the figures, but I think that's, that must be changing. Women are becoming just as aware mm. that they've got it. But that includes combined women. And more of the women I meet are combined than, than inattentive. It's the inattentive men that are largely overlooked, think, yet, yet struggle more. Do you think parents can rely on schools to spot ADHD in God, early no. years? No, 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 I do not. Um, but I do not blame the teachers for it. Every teacher I speak to, and we've got many teachers who come to my support group. I run a support group in Buckinghamshire, um, a face-to-face -face one. And we've got nearly 700 members now, which is just crazy. When we started, you know, we had three people turn up. Mm. But in five years, it's gone to nearly 700 people. Um and a lot of those members of that support group are either teachers or head teachers. We've got a couple of Senkos. Uh, we've got a couple of teachers who've uh, come out of the mainstream and they're now like teaching ADHD and ASD kids privately. Um, and we ask all these teachers, you know, how much training did you get in ADHD, ASD and any of the other neurodiversities? The maximum we found, the maximum in three years teacher training is three hours. Three hours training. Three hours training. Now, that, and that's recent. That's from a girl who qualified about two years ago. She told us that, and she's very angry because she, her, she herself is ADHD, ASD, and dyslexic. 
And she said they, you know, in th- they expected somebody to understand me in three hours out of three years training. And that's the most mm. we've heard of. So it's not the teacher's fault. We do not blame teachers. What's wrong is it goes it goes back. It needs to be in it needs to be accepted to be important enough that it is included in teacher training. Ditto counselling training. It's not included in counsellor training either. And yet when when you've got a condition like ADHD where the risk of self-harm and suicide is higher and people have possibly got anxiety and depression, sometimes both, where are those people going to end up? They're going to end up sitting in front of a counsellor. And yet I went through five and a half years counselling training. The word ADHD was not mentioned once. And yet out of 16 people on my counselling diploma, we've now worked out about eight of them are ADHD. Some of them are now working for me. You know, they work for me because they're ADHD. But it, it's not included in counsellor training, which is absolutely ludicrous. It needs to be. And schools, as I say, we don't blame teachers. It go. It needs to go back further. It needs to be included in their training massively. Because how are these teachers supposed to work when they've not been trained? Let's say they've got one or two ADHD kids in their class and they've also got an ASD kid in their class. They're expected to manage them with the rest of the people and they have no training for it. It's, it's really not fair on the teachers, which is why we as a company do a lot of training in schools because they're not trained. So... I know it's a huge question and one which would require many hours, but yeah. what, what can parents, teachers look out for to perhaps help them spot early ADHD in kids? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Uh, okay, well I've got <laughs> I've got a nephew's two uh, four with it and an ex-offender's daughter who's four. She's screaming combined and he's screaming inattentive. So I can tell you very little kids what to look out for. The the, the combined one is hyperactive. She's on the go constantly. She's constantly bored. Mm. Even from the age of three, she's been saying, I'm bored. What can we do now? I want to leave. Can we go somewhere else? So boredom, wanting, always wanting to do something else. She's so hyperactive. She jumps all the time. She literally stands, if she was here now, she'd be jumping in front of you. She can't stand still. She's just jumping. Mm. And she gets, she moves from one thing to the next. And she also talks a lot. 
So that's in a four-year-old, look for those sorts of things for your combines. My brother's son, who is inattentive, silent, but always moving, came to my birthday party in a park about two years ago. He was only two, and nobody could believe it because he just didn't stop walking. He walked, he was like, oh, flower, oh, flower, oh. And he just kept walking, 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 walking. So that's, in your inattentives, you're looking for kids who are kind of dreamy, kind of in their own worlds, but they will also have that movement thing. They'll be moving all the time. They just, they just won't be so noisy as the combines. But you can you can spot ADHD in, I mean, I've had, I've had one of the girls who works for me, um, her son's two. It's so obvious in him already, you know, because his dad's ADHD and he's two. And it's very, very obvious. Obviously, they can't get diagnosed to the five minimum, mm. but you can see it before that. Do you think you should speak to the, a child from a young age about ADHD? That's a blooming good question because I often wonder. See, I'm a, I'm a big fan of being open, honest, you know, children knowing, brothers and sisters knowing, and everybody knowing. However, all the diagnoses that I've got, I wonder if I was told all that when I was a child, I wonder if I might have just thought, well, sod it. <laughs> I'll just give up then. Because if I was told I'd got moderate to severe ADHD, severe dyspraxia, dyscalculia, yeah, would I have just thought, oh, well, there's no hope. I won't bother. It's a kind of a bit of a... Adds to that feeling of feeling different and yeah, broken uh, in a way. Exactly. And I, I don't know. If I'd have been told ADHD, I don't think I'd have had such a problem. But if somebody had told me about this 1% mm. dyspraxia with 1% processing, and what, what that means, that 1% processing, it means I don't understand how anything works. So just the best example is when an Amazon delivery arrives, which it does pretty much every day in my house. <laughs> Impulse purchases. Of course. Um, I Number one, of course, I've forgotten what it is. No idea. Um, and number two, I can't open the box. So I have to stab it. Yeah. I, stab, I stab boxes with knives to open them because I don't know how they work, how they open, you know. So, And also I can't watch a James Bond film because I, don't, I never know who's a goodie and who's a baddie. And, and who's doing what and if that's good or if that's bad. I can't follow it. So that 1% processing, that kind of made more sense of my life even than the ADHD. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, I'm a, but as I still think I'm a big fan of people knowing. We as a team, my, my counselling team, we come at ADHD very positively. You know, we do. We always say, Yes, we know it can come with issues and we know that we know the negatives, but most of those can be medicated away, most of them. And what you're left with is the good stuff. You're left with the drive, you're left mm. with the the wanting to win. One of my clients said to me once, one of my favorite teenagers, he said to me, Sarah, he said, uh, coming second is losing. And I said, mm-hmm, yeah, I think that too. <laughs> I'm a winner. If I don't win, not interested. So, so I think all the good stuff with the ADHD, mm. I've got no problem with that, but I'm not sure I would have liked to have known I've only got 1% processing. I think that might have, you know, knocked me down a bit. Mm. So I'm not sure on that one. I've kind of, it's, I'm, I'm 50-50 on it now. I only asked, I saw a scary statistic that said people, kids with ADHD are exposed to 20,000 yes. negative comments before their 10th birthday. Yes. And which is obviously going to yeah. have knock-on effects. Yeah. So I suppose what, what should you not say to a child with ADHD? Well, that, you know, it's so true. I spent my whole childhood being told and these exact words, why do you have to do everything in such a tearing hurry? Concentrate on what you're doing. Look, look at what you're doing because mm. I was always, you know, moved on. 
Um, every theater I went to with my mum, she would tell me to stop fidgeting and stop moving. I had no idea that I was, but you know, stop fidgeting, stop moving. Um, uh, so I, I can, I can absolutely understand that 10,000 negative messages. And I think my big thing is because I'm, because I'm a counselor, um, and an author now, but I'm still a counselor at heart. And I believe that everybody has the right to be their authentic self. Yeah. And for ADHD people, we have as much right to be our authentic self as anybody else. Yeah. Mm. And that means we are going to fidget. That means we are going to move around. That means we are going to have something to fiddle with and play with. And we are going to get lost on our way here and all that sort of stuff. And that's acceptable. That doesn't need telling off because that's just our authentic selves. I think the worst thing you can do to ADHD people, and this still happens a lot in families and in schools, and that's that they try to turn the ADHD kid into a neurotypical one mm. or as close to as they can. And I always say in, uh, in the last book I've written, which is the one for teenagers, stop trying to knock the ADHD out of your child. Stop it. Accept it and work with it. You know, accept that they are going to be hyperactive. Get them doing things every day physically. Get them out exercising on a boat get them at the gym, you know, use that hyperactivity. Don't tell them off for it. Use it to your advantage. And that's also in my teacher's book very much that if you've got an ADHD kid in the class, use it to your advantage. If you need things handing out, if you need a child to go to the headmaster and pass the message, if you need the door opening, anything to get that child up doing something. So use it, but don't try and knock it out of people. There's still too many people We, we hear this all the time. There are, st there are schools, you know, whole schools that go, well, yes, we accept he's got ADHD, but he's got to behave like the rest. That's not accepting that he's ADHD. Mm. And that's, that's the sort of thing that we fight all the time. Because I, as I say, I firmly believe that ADHD people have the right to be their authentic selves as much as anybody else. However, I do understand that means we mustn't annoy other people and we have to be fit in to a certain degree. But trying to knock the ADHD out of people, mm. I do not agree with it at all. I really don't. I mean, that begs the question, ADHD kids can be very sensitive to rejection yep. and criticism. So obviously, as you alluded to, there will be situations where you do need to correct behavior. Yep. If they're in a restaurant and they're throwing curry at the person yeah, sat next yeah. to you. So how, yeah. do you, how do you correct behavior of an ADHD child when that child is very sensitive? I believe by explaining the effect on the other person. So if we use your beautiful example of throwing curry at other people, it's just, uh, uh, in, in, in my view, it would not shouting and telling them off and going, sit down, you're embarrassing us. None of that. Just go, look, that lady has got a really pretty dress on. Mm. And if you keep doing that, that's going to make her pretty dress not nice. So let's not do that. If you need to throw it, let's sit here and let's do something. Yeah, Do it that way. If, if you come at things in a positive way all the time, and also if you give children a reason why it's not a great idea to carry on punching somebody or throwing something at somebody, because that lady is going to get hurt or upset, or we don't want to muck her dress up, do we? That it doesn't come across as criticism. It for me with ADHD children, and I've got an ADHD niece who I help bring up. It's always about the way you word things. 
And I totally get the RSD because I'm a massive RSD person myself. Massive. I can take anything the wrong way. So I get it. But if you come at it, if you come at things positively and you explain why it's probably not the best idea to do something, maybe that lady might get upset. Who knows? She might, she might not. Who knows? But let's not do that just in case she does. And instead, come out with me and let's go and play football in the park. You mm. know, that 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 sort of wording is not going to upset an ADHD child. If you go, you bloody idiot, you've just ruined her dress. Da-da-da-da. Yes, that's going to bring mm. on tantrums and tears and upset and all the rest of it. And it's the kind of reaction that probably lots of teachers, not through their own fault, say to ADHD kids in the classroom when they're acting out now, do you think? Yes. And it's not the teacher's fault. Every te- pretty much every teacher I've met, and I've met hundreds because we do a lot of training in schools, they are lovely and they want to understand ADHD. You know, they're, 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 they're kind of perplexed. They don't understand why they've not been trained in it either because they go, well, there's going to be at least one. The odds are there'll be one to three ADHD kids in a class. So the teachers are lovely. I, ha- I had one Senko, for example, in a school in East London who came up to me. We've done, I'd just done two hours training on ADHD. She came up to me afterwards and she said, I'm a Senko. And she said, I've been one for 20 years. And she said, I've been on an awful lot of training in 20 years and nothing that I've just heard in there has been in my Senko training. Thank you very much. And she also, I see, I've got this big thing that everybody with dyslexia has also got ADHD. She said, she said, and by the way, I've got dyslexia, but I now realize I've got ADHD as well, as have my two daughters. So thank you very much for that. So these Senkos even aren't getting the right training, you mm. know, because our teacher training is all about what ADHD is, how the brain, how how we think, all about the emotional dysregulation, rejection sensitive dysphoria, the way we like to feel in charge, all this sort of stuff. And they're not taught this. They might be taught about a bit, you know, hyperactivity, distraction, that sort of stuff. But they're not taught about the way the ADHD brain works and how to interact with it. And that is basically, I always, when parents say, can you sum it up? I say, yeah, two ways. Number one, ask questions, don't tell. Ask, would you like to go for your dinner now? Would you like to wait and have it half an hour after this show? Or would you like to have it at seven o'clock? Ask questions. That doesn't put an ADHD person's back up, yeah? Because it puts them in charge, yeah? And the other thing is choices. Don't don't insist they do their maths homework now. So you can do your maths homework now, or would you rather do your history? Or would you rather do your English? Choices always goes down well with ADHD kids. So questions and choices. That's the that's the mm. start there, and you won't go far wrong. Do you think that's also the solution to a situation that many ADHD parents find themselves in, and that's when their child is refusing to eat, refusing to go to school. Is that because they're not in charge of that decision? That sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. I mean, school anxiety is a, a big thing. Very often, it's because you've got an undiagnosed comorbidity or coexisting condition, yeah? So I'll give you an example. Um, I've, we've worked with a couple of clients who've got dysgraphia. You know, do you know what dysgraphia uh, is? dysgraphia? Okay, dys- dysgraphia is, um, it, it goes along with the dyslexia, dyspraxias, all of those. But dysgraphia, in simple terms, is where the brain, the message from the brain to the hands is corrupted. So people with dysgraphia, they can have it all up here, all the information up here, but they can't write it, type. There's no good giving them a laptop or an iPad. It makes no difference. They can't get the information out of here. And when I was 
trying to work out whether somebody age 29 had dysgraphia. Oh, he, his mum was sitting next to me. This boy had been in and out of prison constantly until he was 29. And his mum said, oh my God, is this why I've always had to write his homework for him? Why he would, he couldn't sit down, of course, very hyperactive. He would walk around the kitchen table shouting out the answers and I would have to write it down for him because he's got dysgraphia, but nobody had picked it up. Mm. So school refusing is very often because of undiagnosed coexisting conditions. And just as you were saying before, that that shows up in classes and is humiliating for kids, yeah? If they can't do what they're supposed to be doing, the humiliation kicks in. So what happens then? Either, either they swerve classes altogether and they, you know, get the toilets or don't go in, or they kick off or they get distracted and they chat to other people. They cover it up, basically, rather than go, I can't do this because that's humiliating. Mm. So do, do, do choices work when it comes to school? Yes, sometimes. If you say, you know, look, I can either take you in myself or do you want to go on the bus or would you rather walk with your best friend? Yes, it can work, but it could also be covering up something else, which would be some sort of anxiety. I've known teenagers who've had to have alcohol before they can go in. Literally, a couple of nips of vodka before they could go to school, you know. Um, and I've known other teenagers who've had, who've had to smoke cannabis to get themselves calm enough to mm. go into school. So there's lots of reasons for school refusing. But um, options, on the whole, work for ADHD people. On, and that's adults as well. Yeah, I'm the same. Mm. Somebody says to me, do you want a curry or an Indian or Chinese? If they just say to me, we're going for a Chinese, I'll think, hmm. I don't really fancy Chinese. Whereas if they'll say, right, we've got the option, Chinese, Indian or pizza, then, then I'm good. I've got the choice. So it's the same for adults. Do you think if there's more teacher training, more awareness, more early diagnoses of ADHD, that the knock-on effects later down the line are going to be beneficial? Oh, I can't begin to tell you. Yes, I do. Um, I'm very, we've just sort of joined up with Matt Hancock. Matt Hancock, as you know, is starting, we might know starting a charity um and he wants screening for dyslexia from the age of five onwards now we've spoken to his charity and we've said that's terrific but it also needs to include adhd and they've said they, they know that they want screening for all neurodiversity from the age of five which is terrific we're right behind them and we're going to link up with them my charity is at the other end so my charity is dealing with the kids that haven't been picked up and that have not had the right parenting, usually, often come from the care system and then end up in juvenile prisons and young offender institutes. And those are rammed to the rafters. Now, the, the government, this is this is where the government, are, they're getting close, but not close enough. They're saying, oh, the literacy and numeracy levels in prisons is dreadful. You know, something like 80% of them can't write. No, they can't write because nobody's picked up their ADHD or their dyslexia, or their dysgraphia. So we're pushing for screening in um, young, young offender institutes, youth offending services. But our goal, of course, is to pick children up before this. Because if we pick them up when they're five, seven, we're, we're aiming for screening at every transition. So a five, seven, 11, six, uh, 15, 17, 19. So if everybody, because people will get missed, but then we'll show up, you know, mm. later. Um, and it takes five minutes and it's free. What's not to love? You know, it, it, it doesn't cost anything. Where, where's that free screening? It's a piece of paper. You can run it off the internet. You know, it, it's free. These tests are all free. So why are they, why are we not doing it? 
I mean, I failed my 12 plus in 1975 because of my undiagnosed dyscalculia. And that's okay in 1975-ish, although it did screw up my life. But it's still happening now. Kids are not being picked up for their dyscalculia now. The only one that gets picked up in schools, if you're lucky, is dyslexia. Because it's the one that's more obvious. Because yeah, if they can't spell, they can't write, they can't punctuate, they can't uh, do paragraphs, it gets picked up much quicker. So dyslexia often gets picked up. But in my view, it's always hiding ADHD. Mm. Mm. What, do you think ADHD specifically has a higher chance of the person getting involved in the criminal justice system because of the traits of undiagnosed ADHD? Yes, I do. We don't all. I've never committed a crime, but I've, uh, I've got my adrenaline from running businesses and uh, helping people. I've, I've 30 years, I've volunteered with the homeless ex-offenders and, in addiction. So I got my buzz from helping people. Mm. But people who are looking for buzz and the adrenaline, uh, people who are impulsive, don't think of the consequences and often come from, well, I say often, practically always come from homes with undiagnosed ADHD parents where the parents have either been alcoholics, drug addicts, sometimes both, sometimes drug dealers. And these kids coming from these undiagnosed families are getting into trouble from the age of eight, nine, really young. Um, and yeah, if they've, if they've got a mum at home, I, I could give you numerous, numerous examples, but we'll just take a random sort of family, but this would be average. Dad's a drug dealer and takes drugs. Mum's an alcoholic on the sherry. No dinners are cooked. So the kids go out and nick the dinners and come, come home and the oldest one cooks it. It's very common, very mm. common. The oldest one cooks it. Nobody cares if these kids go to school. Nobody cares if they do their homework. Yeah. So by 15, 16, what are they doing? They're out on the streets and they're getting into some sort of naughtiness because their ADHD traits of not thinking of the consequence and impulsivity and needing a buzz, adrenaline, pushing boundaries, blah, de blah. Yes, it can so easily lead them down the wrong path. If you haven't got a mother going, oi, where are you? I mean, one, a classic case, one of my um, young offenders that I work with, when he was 14, he was taken to Norwich for a week to be trained as a drug, drug dealer. Trained as a drug yeah, dealer. Yeah, trained as a drug dealer. Why was he not at where, where was his mother? You know, saying, mm. where are you? My mother would have gone ballistic if I wasn't home, mm. you know, within half an hour of school. He went to Norwich for a whole week and no, nobody worried that he'd gone. Because he had that came from that sort of family, sadly, where you could disappear for a week and nobody be that bothered. And that's if you times that by tens of thousands, that's who's in the prison system. And the boys and girls, five percent are girls, but mostly boys, are in there for very silly crimes. You know? It's not it's most often, I mean, there are some very serious rapists, murderers, sex offenders in prison with ADHD as well. But the vast majority are not in there for that. The vast majority are in there for um, fighting, for stealing, often to feed addiction, often alcohol, whatever, uh, or stealing to fund drug addictions, mm. um, and fighting and affray. That's, that's basically what ADHD boys are in prison for. What percentage of people in prison have ADHD? Well, the figures vary. So when I first, I left the prison system because I was a counsellor in four prisons, uh, two young offender units, two prisons. And I left in 2016. And at that time, the figure was one in four. And I thought, no, 
that's rubbish because it's nearly everybody. Well, it was everybody I'd worked with. Every single person I'd counseled had ADHD. And I thought it's got to be higher than that. It's got to be higher. So that one in four is pretty dead now. So the government released a report, I think it was about two years ago. And in it, it said it is, it is, um, what was the expression? I think it was something along the lines of it would be fair to to, to believe that at least 50% of people in prison are neurodiverse. So the government's latest figure is 50%. However, people who work in the prison system will tell you it's a lot higher. So, for example, I know a mental health nurse who's ADHD herself, who's worked in the prisons for 20 years. And she says, oh, Sarah, come on, we know it's at least 85% of them. And I said, well, that fits with me because I've always said it's eight or nine out of 10, which is 85%. And then other people, I've got, a, we've got a master's level counsellor who's working in a prison at the moment. And she said, well, it's 100% of them in here. 100 100, yeah. The prison, I won't name it, but the prison she's working in, she says it's 100% of them in here. Um, and everybody else says it's at least eight or nine out of 10. So we are, uh, there's a lot more people now that are going, hmm, people actually have worked in the prisons with these people because the, the, the main problem is they don't know they've got ADHD, yeah? So some are in prison having been diagnosed as children, not been on the meds. Again, classic example here, boy I worked with years ago, diagnosed, but his mum never took him back for the medication appointment. So he never went on meds. So where does he end up? in prison. So a lot of them have been diagnosed, but not on the meds and they end up in prison. Mm. Um, and then the other, the rest of them, the vast majority don't know they've got ADHD at all. My charity, we spend most of our time getting ex-offenders diagnosed on the outside and keeping them out because once they're diagnosed and medicated, surprise, surprise, they don't commit any more crime. So There's you, a crime. Do you think prisoners should be automatically screened for ADHD upon 100%. entry into the system? Yes. Um, I do. Um, I don't know, don't know how much you know about prisons, but when you go into prison or you move prison and they move you around prisons constantly to stop gangs forming. So they're always moving people around prisons. Every time you move or you first go into prison, you have to go on an induction wing. Now, on that induction wing, you're not allowed to do anything in the prison. So you're not allowed to go to the gym. You're not allowed to go to library. You're not allowed to go to education. You're not allowed to go to work. You just sit on the induction wing. And you are there to be tested, right? Now, the things they test them for are literacy, numeracy. Um, I think they, they test their eyesight, that, that sort of stuff. The one thing they're not testing them for is the one thing they've pretty much all got, and that's ADHD. So I am pushing for them to be screened. The government, again, they've, they've, they're, they're, they've, they've almost got it right. They've put a neurodiversity manager into every prison, yeah? But one, one. And if we're talking... A prison of a thousand people, eight or nine hundred of them are ADHD. How on earth is that neurodiversity manager mm. going to cope with all of them? But also, they haven't included screening in the neurodiversity manager's job. So when I spoke literally about two weeks ago uh, to the head of neurodiversity at the Ministry of Justice, I said, why have you not put screening in? You've missed it. She said, no, we've not put it in on purpose. And I said, well, why? <laughs> because most of them don't know they've got it. She said, well, that's it. basically, Alex, the truth is they know the prisons are chock-a-block with ADHD. And if they start screening, what are they going to do with eight or 900 people in every prison that have got ADHD? That's a lot of medication needed for starters. And actually, 
all this talk about the prisons being too full and we uh, we need to build new prisons. No, we don't. What we need to do is screen everybody that's in there right now, medicate the ones that are ADHD. When they come out, serve their sentences still, fair enough. But when they come out, they won't be reoffending. Every offender I know, and I know a lot, who I've got diagnosed ADHD has never offended again. Never. It makes, it makes total sense. However, mm. there will be a lot of people listening who might think I've been on a list for three years. Why should a prisoner jump the queue? A hundred percent. I understand that. I understand that. We, um, one of the things we're trying to do is get the government to realize that we need more ADHD psychiatrists and psychologists. Cause obviously a psychologist can diagnose, they just can't medicate. So I spoke to one of my we work very closely with a lot of ADHD psychiatrists. And I asked him last week, how long does it take to turn a normal psychiatrist into an ADHD one? Two days, he said. Two days training and then two days on the job watching somebody else do it. So in less than a week, all the psychologists and psychiatrists in this country and in the prisons, because there's dozens of those in prisons, mm. if we train them all to assess for ADHD, bang, there goes your waiting lists. But the the waiting lists I know are a mammoth problem and we're forever putting in formal complaints all over the place about waiting lists. Um, But this is, the government need to wake up and they are waking up, lots of them are waking up and realising that this is a massive issue, undiagnosed ADHD. It's not, um, how can I say, it's not um, a minor issue. It's a major issue because, the, as you know, the rate of self-harm and suicide is much higher with ADHD. And also we have a lower life expectancy. So this is not a trivial illness we're talking about here. This is something very serious. Mm. And all it will take is for all the psychologists and psychiatrists to be trained in ADHD. Now, the ones that are qualified already to do four days training, four days, and then they're ready to be diagnosing ADHD. The prisons are not short of psychologists and psychiatrists. There's loads in there. They just can't diagnose ADHD. So get them trained up, diagnose all the people that need to be in the prisons, medicate them, and then start clearing the prisons. And to the people who say about jumping the queue, what I would say is, if you've got a prisoner who is not going to rob your house, or not going to mug you, or not going to rape your daughter, or not going to do any of these things, because they're now medicated, wouldn't you rather have that? Wouldn't you rather have all these people not committing offences? I'd rather that. I'd rather they weren't burgling my house or, or mugging me on the street because they're now diagnosed and medicated. So it's not that we're just, um, we're not just diagnosing offenders because they deserve it. We're also protecting the public. Mm. And there are, and I have worked with them, sex offenders, you know, who, who have offended because of undiagnosed ADHD. And we've I've then spoken to their probation, explained this person is doing what they've done because of ADHD. Good old probation have helped me and got them these people seen very quickly and medicated. Now, surely people would rather a sex offender was diagnosed and medicated quickly than their child was put at risk. So e- even for the sake of protecting children, should all offenders be tested and screened for ADHD? Yes, they should. If we protect one mm. child from being sexually abused, surely we should be screening all offenders. What part of ADHD in- increases the chance of you being a sex offender? Well, I can tell you because I've spoken to a couple of them. <laughs> I know exactly. Um, I'll give you a brilliant example of one. Um, this gentleman was 55 years old. He had spent 10 years in prison. And he said to me, Sarah, I've done every single course I can in prison to find out why I did what I did. 
because he said, I hate myself. I despise myself. He had slept with a 15 year old who was already sexually active. Yeah. But even so, I mean, I always say not a five year old, a 15 year old, however, of course, illegal. And he hated himself. He, I can't begin to tell you how much he, he he'd basically given up on himself, thought he was useless, you know, a dreadful, disgusting person, hated himself. So he did 10 years in prison and he did every single course he could. Now, while I was working with him, it was, wasn't till about the fourth session and it came to me in my sleep. It came to me in my sleep because my brain works in my sleep. I don't know if yours does. I solve problems in my sleep. Yeah, I can relate to that. Do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in my sleep, it came to me. He's talking about the buzz. He keeps using the word, the buzz, the buzz. He got an incredible buzz from it. So the next time I went in, I took the ADHD test and he scored massively, like, you know, full, everything, 100%. So that was when I spoke to his probation and said, look, he, we now realize why he was doing what he was doing because he was getting a buzz from it, as he kept told me, um, kept telling me about the buzz. And they got him in front of the head of ADHD for the place he lived in within two weeks because he was at, he was out in the community by now. Um, and I said, you know, if you want to protect the community, that's your job and you want to stop him reoffending. I'm telling you, a diagnosis, a medication is what's going to change him. Probation agreed. I actually went to the assessment with him. And it was a tragic case because he'd spent all his life in special needs schools. But nobody, had, they picked up, he couldn't write, he couldn't read. You know, there were loads of things he couldn't do. He'd probably got every coexisting condition going. But nobody had picked that up and nobody had picked the ADHD up. Yet he'd been in special schools since the age of five. Mm. I mean, how disgraceful is that? And then he ends up age 50. No, sorry, he must have been 45 when he did what he did. Sex offending and hating himself, despising himself. And, and as, as he said, doing every single course I could in prison. There's quite a lot of courses you can do in prison. And quite a lot of them are uh, around sex offending and, and understanding your behavior and all the rest of it. And he'd done every single course he could trying to understand. But nobody had linked it with ADHD. Mm. You know, and that's what's going wrong in the prisons. They don't link it. And also in prisons, you probably know, there are massive drug and alcohol wings in prisons. Massive. Um, and they, the staff on there are very highly qualified in, in addiction. But again, not trained in ADHD. So they don't get the link between ADHD mm. and addiction. I even had a client years ago, a private client, who, ha who had a very bad gambling habit. He was... ADHD, but not on the meds. And he'd got a really chronic gambling habit. We got him on the meds, but it, it helped, but it didn't stop the gambling. So he managed to get himself into a gambling rehab. And our, it was, I think it was a 12 week program. And after eight weeks, he left and he said, Sarah, I've got to leave. He said, I, I'm not saying I'm cured. I, I think I am, but I'm not, not, you know, not saying I'm definitely cured. He said, what I can't tolerate is they will not accept that any of this is to do with my ADHD. And I know it is. You know, he knew that the the, the excitement, the buzz, the thrill from gambling mm. was what, you know, was what lost him everything, lost his wife, house, business, everything. I've met several people like that. Um, but the rehabs are a bit behind. You know, they didn't, couldn't link the addiction to the ADHD. So this is where, again, We've, we've got working parties. We're, we're trying to get an ADHD Act passed. We've got a massive team, about 200 people, working on an ADHD Act. And uh, addiction services are one of the big people that we know 
or the big area we know training needs to be um, put in place because it's only addiction therapists with ADHD themselves who realize that massive connection between addiction and ADHD. Other people mm. on the whole don't. You mentioned earlier there was a benefit to the public about Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. diagnosing prisoners because they were less likely to reoffend when they come out. Yeah, fair enough. But there's also another benefit because there's a taxpayer benefit because if they're not reoffending, they're not going to be taking up a prison cell. And also, they're probably not going to be partaking in lifestyle choices that would land them in the NHS. Yes, 100%. If I can give you one example, and this is somebody who's on my website, he does not mind being spoken about at all. He, at the age of 29, he'd been arrested over 500 times. So think of the amount of police time that took up, 500 times, um, and had 53 convictions. He'd been to prison 15 times. Now, it's, I always forget if it's 46,000 or 48,000 a year to keep a prisoner in prison. It's either 46 or 48 grand a year. And from the age of 17 to 29, he'd been in, out, in, out, in, out 15 times. So imagine how much police time that took up, how much prison time that took up. He'd been thieving from shops. He'd, he'd been feeding an alcohol addiction. So all his offending was around alcohol. It was either stealing alcohol or when he was drunk, fighting a fray and criminal damage. That was all he'd ever been done for. So none of his sentences were longer than six months. But that boy had been in and out of prison constantly till the age of 29. We got him diagnosed and medicated on the outside. The psychiatrist said to me, look at that, look at that. And I said, what am I looking at? It was a piece of paper. I didn't understand it because it's all graphs and charts. With dyscalculia, we can't do graphs and charts. He said, you are looking at one of the most severe cases of ADHD I've ever seen. And that boy, since being diagnosed and medicated two and a half years, has not committed one crime. So, yes, think of the cost saving to the public. Mm. Massive absolutely massive and all this building new prisons and putting but no absolutely not it's an utter waste of time instead screen diagnose and medicate the ones that are adhd clear the prison system of those i, I as i say i i would be honest if i knew one offender who was diagnosed medicated and had committed a crime i would sit here and tell you but i don't all the ones i know that are now diagnosed and medicated they're working you know, they're, they're working and they've got partners, they've got babies, they've got children. They're fine because now they're diagnosed and medicated. In fact, another interesting one was a boy who got to 33 and 
I, I then realized he'd been one of my clients in, in prison and he was now out. And I realized that he was severely ADHD. So I spoke to his probation and I said, look, the reason he's offending is because he's, he's seriously ADHD. Now, his probation did a bit of a naughty thing. Um, they put him on ADHD meds. They obviously had some in their drawer. They stuck him on ADHD meds for a fortnight. That boy rang me up during that fortnight and he said, Sarah, I can't guarantee it. But I think if I've been on these meds all my life, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have committed any of any of my crimes, critically these words, because I feel totally different. Now, he was somebody who was a 33 prolific offender. Again, silly, silly offenses, but hundreds of them. Yet on the ADHD meds, didn't think he would have committed any of those crimes. Now, me and his probation worked with the uh, Bristol ADHD Centre who went into Bristol prison and diagnosed him with ADHD and got him on the meds because his probation were, his probation were lovely and they knew him extremely well, you know, because he'd been in and out of prison a lot. But because I worked with his probation, we got him on the meds and diagnosed and different boy. It's the same with all of them, you know. It's just a question of getting to them. And like you say, yes, screening on induction wings needs to happen, but let's get to them before that. Let's get to them when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, and before they commit the first crime. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the the police are being amazingly supportive with what we're doing, uh, which always always makes me laugh because all my clients in prison, if you'd have asked all of them, who do you think is going to help you most get screened? Because they all, you know, I said to them, I'm going to get you screened, all of you, the whole lot of you. And if I'd have said to them, who do you think is going to help you most on the outside? The police would have been the last people they'd have said. But actually, a lot of the police are ADHD themselves, loads of them. So those ADHD police men and women are coming to us saying, we get it. We know all these people were arrested. They're the same as us. And this is wrong. We need to do something about this. You know, these people have got a psychiatrically diagnosable condition. So the police are being absolutely amazingly supportive. Brilliant. You're more it. likely to recognize traits of ADHD and others if you yourself are familiar with them yourself. 100%. Mm. Yeah. So I think pretty much every police, I mean, we had, an, uh, I won't name them, but pretty much every force in the country we're talking to now. Um, and every single one of our contacts is ADHD in the police because they're the ones who are passionate about changing this situation so that all the people they're arresting aren't ADHD. They feel guilty. They feel, feel like they're arresting their, their tribe members, you mm. know, who, who these, unfortunately, these tribe members haven't been lucky enough to be spotted and diagnosed and medicated, whereas the police often have. Mm. They are often, often are now diagnosed and medicated late, but they've still got diagnosed and medicated. So all of this work you're doing, you must feel frustrated when you see people say ADHD is just a trend. I don't even read it. I, I just, so, so sometimes we've got a, my company, we've got a, a therapist WhatsApp group and people will put things up on there and go, look at this, this is outrageous. I don't read it anymore because it, it, it makes my blood pressure go. <laughs> and whenever anybody says anything like that to me, and also when people use the word label, I, that sends me sky high, but I don't read it because my answer always to people who say things like that is ADHD is a condition that your GP can't diagnose. It has to be diagnosed by a psychiatrist. That alone tells you it's a, it's a, a severe condition because otherwise every GP in the country would be diagnosing it. Yeah. It's also a condition where the risk of suicide and self-harm is documented 
we absolutely know it's higher. And we know that from our clients as well. So does that make it a label? And also, what other condition has a life, a lower life expectancy of between 15 and 25 years just mm. for having it? Unless, of course, it's cancer or something awful like that. But you, you can't call something like that a trend. It, it's not a trend. It's a very serious condition. And I lost one of my young offenders in March. Um, he actually took his own life. And it's devastated me because it's the it's the first client I've ever lost. But if anything, and, and, and he on the inside was helping me. He was getting all the officers, officers to read my books. He was explaining to the officers about ADHD. He was helping. In fact, the, on the very last night, the last thing he did before he took his own life was tell somebody they were ADHD and to get in touch with me. And I got a letter from this person saying, I'm so sorry I couldn't talk him out of doing what he did. But, I, but he did tell me that I'm ADHD and to get in touch with you. So, you know, th there are people like that who are in, in prison and their emotions are so dysregulated because with him, they wouldn't put him in, on his ADHD meds. So his emotions, he'd set fire to himself a couple of years ago. The whole of the left-hand side of his body was very key, oh, sorry, was very keloid, scarry. You know, it was about that much raised with scars. Um, and then he finally managed to do it in March this year, took his own mm -hmm. life. Now, Call that a label or a trend? I don't think so. It's a very serious condition. It is very serious. There's a bit of a debate online at the moment about whether or not it should be classified as a disorder. What, what do you think about that? I don't think it's got the right name. I don't think it should be called ADHD. Um, no, I don't think it's a disorder. I'm, I, I haven't got the magic answer to that because I 100% I, I believe ADHD is the wrong name. I don't believe it's a dis disorder. And although it can be a disability, I I see it more as an ability when it's used the right way. Mm. So I think, I, I really wish I could come up with the best title. I've thought about this long and hard, but I don't have the answer as to what it should be called. Maybe people could talk about calling it executive function something, something. It, I'm more along the lines of that. Mm. I agree with that. Um, but I think, I hope in my lifetime, probably towards the end of my lifetime, I hope somebody changes the name because ADHD, still people think of nine-year-old boys chucking chairs at teachers. That's what they still think of. And when I tell them, well, when I was diagnosed, I was 51, married, um, had a very successful business and, you know, I've never chucked a chair at a teacher in my life. I've never punched anybody, hit anybody, never smoked, never done weed, never done drugs, never, you know, I've never done any of these things that you think go with ADHD. And I was, I was as ignorant as everybody else. You know, when I was diagnosed, I was one of those that thought it's just nine-year-old boys being very, very naughty. And actually, if I'm honest, if I'm really honest, I thought they've probably got rubbish parents who haven't taught them you don't do that. You know, I knew not to do that because my mother told me I had a very strong mother. I thought these people just not been brought up very well, you know, and that's what I thought it was. Mm. I was as ignorant as the rest. So I don't, I never blame people for being ignorant because until you find out you've got it and you research it and you talk to other people, you are going to be ignorant because we all are until we, until we know we've got it ourselves, I think. What's the most impulsive thing you've ever done? Okay. Hmm. So many. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, sold a mini two weeks after I bought it because it ripped a hole in my leather jacket. It was a it was a topless and the topless, you know, top off mini. Mm. 
and it had the the, the the glass window didn't have rubber around it. And it, as I came out of a quite ripped hole in leather jacket, I was like, right, that's it. You're going. <laughs> Sold the car after two weeks. Uh, probably even better than that. Bought a flat. Spent one night in the flat. A baby kept me awake most of the morning, most of the night. At nine o'clock the next morning, I rang the estate agent. I said, put this flat back on the market. She <laughs> said, you're joking. I said, no, get rid of it. And I sold it. Um, and the third most impulsive thing was at, um, on a Sunday, a newspaper came through our door. And on the back of it was um, properties for sale in Bulgaria. And my husband, so I was married at the time, he said, I don't even know why you're looking at that. You'll never buy one. I'd bought one by the end of the day. And it took me years to go to Bulgaria to see it. When I saw it, it was disgusting. And I sold it immediately. <laughs> And I lost about 17 grand on that one. And on the mini, I lost about 10 grand. My impulsive decisions over the years have cost me a lot of money. And they, they usually involve houses and cars. But ADHD tax? Yeah. Well, yes. But for me, my ADHD tax is more uh, connected to perfectionism, believe it or not. Because I'm diagnosed with perfectionism. I thought I'd got OCD but I don't because I don't have the negative thoughts attached. So I've got perfectionism. So for me, it's things like diaries. As every year, if there's a, a blot or if I've even got, if somebody changes an appointment and I have to rub, you know, that's gone, new diary. So I've got slightly better now. I can just write a little cross by it if somebody cancels it, but it used to be a new diary. I usually have every year about 10 diaries because if there's a blot of ink or dirt or muck, it's got to go. That's where my ADHD tax is. I spend a fortune on replacing things mm. because it's got old or it's got a mark on it or dirt. Or if you see where my handbag is now, if that handbag went on the floor, that would go. I would go. I'd give, I'd give things to my cleaner now. I've got a lovely cleaner. She loves stuff. But in the old days, I'd have just stuck it in the bin because it's been on the floor. It's dirty. Mm. Got to go. So that's kind of my perfectionism which is connected to the adhd so that's where my adhd tax goes on new new stuff just finally sarah have you got yes. any tips for surviving the christmas season if you're a parent with an adhd child yes i've written many articles on that i've been asked to write articles on that um yes my uh, my my big ones are activities keep them active keep them out every day get them out every single day stagger the presence yeah, so don't let them have all the presents in one hit because it's much better if they get some on Christmas Eve, some again on Christmas morning, some Christmas evening, some on Boxing Day. And I always say, parents, hide some of the presents and then find them three days later. So they've got, <laughs> you know, they go, oh, oh, I totally forgot. Auntie and uncle dropped these in a month ago and here's some new presents. So stagger the presents. Um, don't force them to sit at the table when they're bored. I always say it's not worth ruining everybody else's dinner if a child wants to get down and go and play. let them, you know, let them go and do what they want to do because it just it's not worth ruining everybody else's dinner by constantly going, get back to the table. You know, don't. Um, that's my big tips, really, and act plenty of activity. Lots of, you know, lots of making decorations, making gingerbread men, doing, keeping them doing mm. is, is my answer over Christmas, always. Keep them busy. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. Fascinating. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. My great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.